so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Chelsea, I particularly like that you said nothing at all. (laughs) Chelsea, gotta speak up. Wow. We'll make her talk. It's hard to call Yeah, you're right. Can't point. At least I I make my call outs uh, when we're actually, you know, when the red light is blinking. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the URLC Podcast. We're excited because this week is actually a special episode. We're going to do kind of a crossover with our some folks from our DC team that are featured on the Capital Conversations podcast. So we're excited uh, to be joined today by Chelsea Sobolik. Greetings. And Jeff Pickering. Howdy. Thanks for having me on, Josh. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff and Chelsea. And I almost forgot to say hello to our faithful co-host, Lindsay Nicolay. Yes. Don't forget me. Hello, everybody. It's all right, Lindsay. Sometimes he forgets people just like he forgot my invitation to the ERLC podcast until I extended the invitation to him first for the Capital Conversations podcast. But alas, here we are. Glad to do it. Good to be with you all. We are glad to see this thing. Yeah, we're glad to see this thing work out and come full circle. So uh, Lindsay and I are just honored to have uh, Jeff and Chelsea with us today. There is a lot to talk about as it has been a very uh, busy week. So we're going to go ahead and get into it. Lindsay, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. Okay, so I feel like every week I say this, but there are so many good pieces, it's hard to know which ones to choose. So if I left them out of this rundown, it's not because they are not worth your time to read and to pay attention to. But I wanted to highlight first off an article by Ashley Arbo. She is an attorney and she gives us six legal issues to consider when reopening your church. So especially pastors, um, executive pastors, this would be important for you to take a look at. You know, she lets us know that um, compliance with local ordinances or executive orders from governors should not be the only legal issues on which they focus. But she mentions that there's a significant risk of lawsuits against churches in the coming days as the fallout of coronavirus continues. but And she gives six things to think about. But then as she um, concludes in the end, she does say that pastors shouldn't be thinking about these things out of fear, but out of love for their neighbor and love for their church members um, to be able to make their church the safest place possible for people to gather together and worship. Lindsay, I'm glad you bring that up uh, or feature this article because uh, in the midst of everything else that's going on, it's almost like the world has moved on from talking about coronavirus. But for our churches, uh, this is something they're they're dealing with uh, every day right now as they try to figure out what it looks like to resume services, how to conduct those safely, what services and uh, you know programs they're able to add versus uh, versus which things that they need to uh, continue to wait and how to proceed. I mean, there's there's just still so many questions uh, lingering out there, and this was a really helpful resource. To, to serve churches and to serve pastors. 
Yeah. So we were thankful that Ashley did that for us. Next up, I wanted to highlight a piece that featured a guest that we had last week on the ERLC podcast, Jimmy McNeil, whom we know and love. Jeff actually is good friends with Jimmy, knows his family from their time at Austin Stone. Um, But I got the chance to interview him and ask him a few questions about raising a family and lamenting and trusting in the Lord during racial injustice and amid all the videos that we're seeing coming out where black men and women have have essentially been murdered. And so Jimmy was able to just provide a, a perspective into how these national things are affecting somebody on the individual level. Yeah, I loved that interview and loved y'all's podcast with Jimmy last week. Uh, As you said, Lindsay, Jimmy's a great friend from when I was on staff with him at the Austin Stone Community Church in Texas. And I think the reason that I would commend that interview and y'all's podcast with him last week uh, so much for folks is because the kinds of realities that many of us in the majority in white America are are realizing and in some ways waking up in new ways to by watching these videos. It's the reality that our brothers in Christ like Jimmy and our neighbors, uh, our black neighbors have been living for their whole lives. And so it was really, you know, it it was it was hard to hear that, you know, he had already had a conversation with his wife about uh, he was he was riding his bike around around Austin a lot. And they had already talked about, you know, what would he do if he were to get into a you know, a confrontation, a confrontational situation. And then we see videos of confrontational situations. And, you know, I'm just reminded of that. I believe it was a Will Smith quote who said, you know, racism isn't new, it's just being filmed. And I think Jimmy's perspective on that was really, really helpful. Yeah. And it was heartbreaking really to read his fears for his children that really hit home. And then what I love about Jimmy's voice is he speaks truth, but his voice is a reconciling voice. And he calls us to prayer and fasting. And so it was just a it was just a good convictional call for me. And then finally, I wanted to highlight ahead of the Supreme Court ruling that we're going to be talking about here in just a few minutes. I just thought it was kind of quote unquote ironic that we had this whole tweet firestorm that involved JK Rowling. And Josh wrote about it and wrote what she could teach us about standing firm amid the crowds on social media in the midst of the sexual revolution. And uh, Josh called us as Christians in the midst of that article to faithfulness to scripture, regardless of the cost. So Josh, will you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, if you've been following uh, what's been going on on social media last week, and honestly, it seems like that was a year ago with with all the things happening in the news cycle. But but J.K. Rowling uh, caught all of this flack for uh, taking issue with a a post that was going out of its way not to call women women uh, because it was trying to be deferential uh, to transgender people. And she was somebody who was just trying to say, hey, you know, we can't erase biological sex. We can't uh, pretend like a biological female uh, is the same thing as a biological male. We have to recognize these distinctions, and it's critical, and and it's bad for everyone, but particularly for biological women uh, when those distinctions are erased. And she has caught uh, incredible pushback. Because of that, there are people right now, the publishing company that is working on her next project, there are people who are, you know, refusing to work on that project because of their objections to uh, what J.K. Rowling has said here, which, you know, brings us to a whole other set of issues in terms of whether or not creative 
professionals should have the right to refuse uh, to do something that you know goes against their beliefs. Uh, but saving that for another time, it has just been remarkable to me to see that J.K. Rowling is someone that we don't even agree. Like she and I and, and the ERLC's official positions, we don't even agree uh, when it comes to many things related to sexual ethics. But to see her kind of courageous uh, stand and refusal to cave in the face of public pressure on something that she holds with deep conviction and knows to be true. Uh, that's something that I think Christians can really learn an important lesson from because, you know, there is going to be for a long, long time pressure on Christians to change their positions on what they believe about human sexuality in order to please other people. But the lesson that you can take from this uh, situation with J.K. Rowling is that once you do, once you, you know, bow the knee uh, to culture in that way, it's never going to be okay to stop. And that's probably, to me, the biggest reason, other than fidelity to Jesus, uh, that's the, the most compelling reason not to take that step. Yeah, and I love this quote that you wrote. It says, when it comes to issues of sexuality, Christians must remain faithful to what God has revealed to us in the scriptures. We can affirm the value and dignity of all people without denying what God has said is true about men and women. We can love and support people who are hurting without affirming what we know to be false and what it means to be male or female. And not to be fear-mongering, but as Christians, um, like you said, Josh, we're going to be under immense pressure to cave when it comes to issues of sexuality. And as it's come for J.K. Rowling, who wouldn't even stand on the same ground that we stand on as far as her authority um, for what she believes, for why she believes what she believes. But cancel culture... <laughs> might be becoming for you, you know, if you stand for what the Bible says. And so it's just going to be important to count the cost and to know how to give an answer for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. So it's a really important article that I'd like to um, point out to our listeners that you would check that out. Again, there are so many other articles on our site this week that are so good. And we'll talk about some of them actually in our culture content rundown. For now, that's what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that moves us into our culture section for the week. Uh, honestly, since we started this podcast, we have gotten a lot of feedback. And since Brent's not here, we'll just brag on him for a second. People really love the way that Brent kind of navigates us through the culture section every week and highlighting major things that are going on. Since he's not here this week, I'm not going to try to imitate Brent because I don't have those skills. But part of having Jeff and Chelsea on the podcast today is just we're going to have a roundtable as we're kind of walking through some major news uh, from the week. And so as we get into our culture section today, we're going to start with what we're calling a surprise at the Supreme Court. There was a major decision, specifically as it relates to our work here at the ERLC, that came down on Monday. And Chelsea is going to tell us a little bit about that. Well, I have big shoes to fill with that uh, compliment to Brent. But uh, yes, the, the case you're referring to um, is a case called Bostock versus uh, Clayton County. Um, and the U.S. Supreme Court um, this week issued an opinion that um, redefines the word sex in Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, it was a six to three decision. I think that's where some of the surprise came from. Um, and the, the majority opinion was authored by uh, Trump appointee Neil Gorsuch. So I think many people were surprised that it was a, a six three decision. Um, I think people were expecting it to be a little bit more narrow than that. And they were also surprised um, by Gorsuch writing the opinion. This case has significant ramifications. You know, for those those that have not been tracking this case, the, the term sex in the Civil Rights Act was inserted to protect women, biological women, from being discriminated against um, in the workplace. Title VII uh, refers to workplace discrimination. 
Um, so it was put into place to, um, you know, so that a company could not fire a woman for getting pregnant or those types of things because they were happening prior to, to 1964. And what the Supreme Court did is it took that term sex, which means biological sex, and expanded it to mean sexual orientation and gender identity. So it, in this case, it only inserted it into um, Title VII, but like I said, the ramifications I think are going to be huge for inserting it into other provisions. Right now, as we are recording this podcast, uh, the U.S. Senate a group of senators had asked the majority leader, uh, Mitch McConnell, to hotline the Equality Act. I, I'm sure we've we've discussed it on this podcast before, but the Equality Act passed the House last year, and um, now these senators are trying to hotline it, which is a tool the Senate has to to bypass regular order. Um, Sir James Lankford has um, objected to that along with a few other senators because there's some pro-life concerns in addition to inserting sex into every title of the Civil Rights Act. So that's a brief rundown. Uh, Dr. Moore has had some excellent commentary and then um, our policy team in DC pulled together an explainer and then pulled together an article of top quotes from from the, the opinion. So here's a question for you guys right now. Are faith-based organizations and churches still protected? Yeah, Lindsay, that's a that's a great question. And it's a really logical question after after that kind of ruling from the Supreme Court that has such massive uh, that has such massive effect. The best answer that I can give listeners now is stay tuned. We just don't yet know. I would point I would point people to uh, a recent podcast, a special episode of Signpost that uh, Dr. Moore did with our friend at the Dispatch, David French, who is a phenomenal legal scholar uh, and longtime religious liberty advocate in the courts, uh, and and they talk about that question. But the the reason I say stay tuned is for the court to have a six to three ruling here to have six justices. Uh, four from the uh, liberal wing of the court and two from the conservative wing of the court, uh, for all of them to agree on an opinion in this case, they had to punt on a lot of the messy, complicated questions that are very logical that come next uh, after that. So I would say uh, stay tuned not only for Congress and, and other responses to the Supreme Court case, but also stay tuned to the court itself. The rest of uh, the rest of this summer, we're expecting more cases to come down uh, and you can see all the cases that ERLC is involved in uh, on our website, ERLC.com with a case five Supreme Court cases to keep your eye on. Uh, Bostock was only one of those. Uh, there are four more, and a couple of those deal with religious liberty, particularly for the ministerial exception, uh, which would shield churches from this kind of new new uh, non-discrimination laws. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for that. Um, and just to follow up, um, I mentioned we've mentioned the Equality Act a few times. Uh, just to give a brief overview on what this bill is and what it does, um, I mentioned ever so briefly, it passed the um, House chamber last year, and this bill just has huge sweeping implications for how our society is set up. It would insert sexual orientation and gender identity. In Washington, we shortened that to SOGI. It would insert SOGI language into every title of the Civil Rights Act, which would mean every aspect of our society would look 
um, drastically different. So, uh, you know, folks have heard of a bathroom bill or um, issues with women's sports where men are allowed to, to compete because they identify a certain way. Um, it would basically erase any um, sex segregated spaces in our country. Again, bathrooms, locker rooms, uh, women's sports, women's shelters, women's prisons. Um, so that's that's one area. Another area that it would um, affect drastically is uh, medical professionals who would object to performing those types of surgeries to have to perform them. You know, it would have implications for uh, public schools and just, again, every sector of society. Now, that's really helpful, Chelsea. It is just obvious to people who just listen to you describe it why uh, evangelical Christians and anybody who holds to a more traditional understanding of human sexuality would be troubled by many aspects of the Equality Act and all that it would entail. One big thing that I wanted to point out before we kind of move on here is that Dr. Moore was actually in the New York Times today. We're recording this on Thursday, and he has a, a piece online uh, at the New York Times uh, with the title, Just How Secular Should America Be? And uh, there's this one line that I wanted to point out. He said, but it would be tragic to trample over the consciences of citizens whenever their beliefs come into conflict with the fluctuating norms of sexual orthodoxy. Likewise, almost no rational person would suggest that a religious freedom consensus would evaporate our culture war disputes. We have real differences and they are not going away anytime soon. That's exactly right. You know, we're looking at a situation right now where uh, the world is changing around us. And one of the things that we're doing at the ERLC is doing everything we can to make the argument for the preservation of conscience, freedom, and religious freedom. And so, you know, even as we saw in the opinion that came down from uh, Justice Gorsuch on Monday, uh, there are still significant protections that exist uh, for for religious freedom, including RIFRA, including the ministerial exemption, uh, and laws that protect faith-based organizations. These are things that are we, we're waiting to see uh, as things play out, and also uh, what comes out of these other cases that we're watching to see what kind of protections are still going to be intact uh, for religious freedom going forward. So we talked a little bit earlier about uh, coronavirus and the way that it's affecting churches. Uh, there's some major uh, impact being felt right now from the fallout of coronavirus just in Southern Baptist life. Uh, Southeastern Seminary, uh, one of our entities of the SBC, which is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, they made some major moves this week. Uh, they announced that approved by the Board of Trustees, a budget cut that includes cuts of 3%, including staff and salary reductions, but also a 5% tuition reduction. So that's pretty admirable uh, to see Southeastern trying to look after students and for the sacrifice that we're seeing uh, on behalf of their staff in order to keep tuition affordable, keep students in school, and also to avoid uh, to avoid layoffs that we've seen have to take place uh, just as you know uh, survival measures at other entities. And so it was sad to see that from Southeastern, but also uh, grateful to see the leadership there uh, under President Danny Aiken and the moves that they are making to continue uh, to help equip the next generation of men and women to take the gospel to the nations. Um, moving on, there was a report from CNN uh, that the American Red Cross is now going to have to test all blood and plasma and platelet donations uh, for COVID-19 antibodies. Regardless of whether a donor has experienced symptoms, the test will show whether their immune system has produced the antibodies uh, for the coronavirus. And this may actually provide like a real window into how widespread the virus has been in society. But it's just one more uh, way that we're seeing coronavirus just change so many fundamental aspects of the way that we live our lives, or in this case, the way that the Red Cross uh, conducts uh, just its ordinary operations. Josh, since you said this was a crossover podcast between the ERLC podcast 
and Capital Conversations. I'm just going to go ahead and, and plug this week's episode on Capital Conversations because I interviewed a good friend of mine uh, named Stuart Hall. He's a pastor in Georgia who um, he battled COVID-19 earlier this year. And interestingly enough, he began to recover from really, in many ways, from his deathbed because of uh, COVID-19 antibody plasma experimental treatment. Within like 72 hours of receiving that plasma treatment, he just started recovering and 72 hours later was able to leave ICU and he's back home now. So I interviewed uh, Stuart and his wife, Kelly, about their journey battling and surviving COVID-19. Jeff, I'm so looking forward to that episode because we were following it along with you as you were posting in our Slack channels and we are so thankful that that he's on the mend. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I, I will say uh, it's a it's a great episode because I've heard from so many people that they don't they don't know anybody who has who has had uh, this virus, which is crazy because so many people have. But it's just a huge country that we live in, um, and so I hope that this will give a personal face to the pandemic for folks. I think that's definitely true, and just something to point out that you know it's it's always cool when you as a Christian see a situation that you've been investing uh, a lot of prayer in, and you see God come through and answer those prayers. You see a person who who was sick and really struggling uh, make this kind of incredible recovery. And so, you know, just personally, that's something that our staff, he's someone that our staff was praying for, and it's really cool uh, to see this outcome. So just, you know, thanks be to God for that. Uh, on another note, one of the other things that we've been talking about a lot on the ERLC Slack channel is this little uh, you know, piece of information related to coronavirus, which is that bald men appear to be at a higher risk of suffering severe coronavirus symptoms. Uh, who knew that those you know, people who experience male pattern baldness are also more susceptible uh, to, you know, a, a more intense version of the coronavirus? So uh, if you are a you know a bald man or your husband's bald or whatever, you know, just we a little bit of extra sympathy there for what they might be experiencing. But it is something that we have talked about quite a bit uh, because, man, like we have talked how about Brent has mentioned over and over again how, uh, you know, capricious this virus seems to be. And to pick on bald men like this just seems to be one more uh, one more sign of that. <laughs> it's just all not the bald right. Guys, and <laughs> <laughs> all the bald guys on our on our uh, on our team keep posting on Slack like still good here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and Chelsea and I can testify right now as we're on Zoom with Jeff and Josh recording this that they are not at risk right now. They've got full heads of hair. Brent, who's normally on here, is not at risk. But it may, my husband and I have been watching Seinfeld for the first time, well, at least for me, and it makes me think of George and what kind of tirade he'd be going on right now. <laughs> yes, Lindsay, I am so glad. That is that is hilarious. That is exactly right. The George Costanza COVID-19 male pattern baldness at risk <laughs> episode would be epic. Epic. <laughs> That's really good. Uh, one of the things that we should point out is that uh, for those uh, of us who live in Tennessee, although I've not been a Tennessee resident since, you know, for months now, as I've been writing out coronavirus in North Carolina, uh, is that as we have seen uh, these states begin to reopen, we have also seen an increase in cases. Uh, and that has been, uh, you know, obviously something that was anticipated, but it's still difficult to see these case numbers continue to climb. Uh, Oklahoma, for example, has seen an increase of 91% in Arizona has seen an increase of 53%. Well, you know, it's, I think that we're suffering from coronavirus fatigue and quarantine fatigue because we just want to get out. We want to see people. We were just talking with Chelsea earlier and she's been in a basement apartment and able to see the light. And um, so we get tired of that, but we're with everything else going, going on, 
we like to think that coronavirus isn't still happening, but the reality is until we get a vaccine, we're still going to battle it. Um, my hometown of Jacksonville, Florida has seen increases. And my mom was just telling me this morning, and then we saw it on the news about these super spreaders where people are just going to bars and restaurants and close quarters inside and hanging out. And one girl that they interviewed, her whole, I think she went with a bridal party or something. The whole party got sick because they just went out to these restaurants and stuff. And so it's still something that's very real. Like you said, Jeff, I think because people don't necessarily know people personally that have faced it, it's a, it's a very real threat that we still have to be on guard against for the love of neighbor. And I think it can be easy for uh, younger generations to think, oh, this only affects the elderly population. So even if I get it, I'm invincible, Um, which is not true and not the case. And like you said, Lindsay, um, we quarantine and are careful for the love of neighbor. So here's some good news, which is that uh, for America's rising seniors in high school, Harvard and Yale and five other Ivy League schools announced this week that they're not going to require SATs and ACTs for admission next year. Uh, According to CNBC, the changes are a result of so many testing sites across the country being forced to to delay or cancel testing dates for students this spring. So I've got to ask you guys, how would you feel if you could go back to, you know, your junior, senior year of high school and not have to take the SAT or the ACT? in order to worry about getting uh, admitted to college. I mean, if I could get into Harvard without an SAT score, I think I might. Doesn't this just, doesn't this just once again show just how lame all of these standardized tests are? I mean, as a person who does particularly well with standardized tests, I always appreciated them. But <laughs> You don't think they're lame, that's right. <laughs> I know, it was always the kids in school who did not do any work Like they largely were doing poorly in school, didn't put the effort into it. And then they would ace the standardized test. So frustrating. It was so (laughs) frustrating. Fun story. My, uh, my freshman year in high school, I, I led a class-wide protest against a uh, standardized test in Texas. Um, of course it was you pretty, did. it was, it was, it was pretty motivating. Um, uh, but the protest only lasted as long as, as the teacher allowed me to be in the classroom. As soon as I left, everybody, uh. Everybody went ahead and took it. That's pretty great, Jeff. Some news on the international front that I know Brent would want us to mention is actually some depressing news, unfortunately. You'll probably remember if you've been listening to the podcast for a while that we mentioned that ERLC was joining up with some other international pro-life groups to host a pro-life conference in Northern Ireland because of moves made by the UK Parliament to bring abortion to Northern Ireland. And so, uh, unfortunately, there's been some more progress this week that looks like those things will come into effect. And so uh, there is, sadly, a lot of work to be done as we look uh, to the future and trying to kickstart, jumpstart a pro-life movement in Northern Ireland, because unfortunately now a country that has not previously had to contend uh, with the reality and the and the evils of that of abortion is now going to have to uh, figure out how to minister and cultivate uh, all of the necessary pro-life inf- infrastructure uh, in that country. And so that's something that you can pray for. It's something the ERLC will be involved in, uh, but it's definitely something we wanted to let you know about. On the lighter side, uh, if you are a Twitter user, one of the things that you know is that people are constantly begging for, asking for all the time, can Twitter please give us an edit button? There is nothing more frustrating than throwing a tweet out there into the world only to see that you have a you know glaring error or typo in your tweet, especially after it starts getting likes and retweets, and then you have to delete it and take the chance of no one ever seeing this thing again. Well, Twitter this week decided to speak to the people. 
But instead of offering the edit button that we've all been begging for, instead, it, it has uh, produced a new feature, which is called voice recorded tweets. So now uh, this thing that no one is asking for, uh, you can record yourself speaking and tweet that out to the world. You'll get 140 seconds to record your unfiltered thoughts and then sling them into the internet where they will live forever. What do we think? All I have to say is this is not going to end well. <laughs> There's no doubt that's true. That's that's like the number one rule of Twitter. This will not end well. Oh, for it's sure. It's not going well. I just want the edit. It's not going to end well. Is anyone yeah, actually I mean, going to use that? Like, is anyone going to sit there and record themselves? For I, I unfortunately, yes, yes, <laughs> they will. will. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jackie Hill Perry sent out a joke that she recorded, and it was a total, you know, corny parent joke, but it was funny. I listened to it. I was like, oh, that's funny. Okay. So one more thing in the, in the world of culture this week, uh, some good news for coffee lovers, especially those who drink Starbucks. CNN has reported that Starbucks is pivoting hundreds of their North American stores away from the cafe model that it helped to you know, make a worldwide phenomenon and now is going to expand its pickup only and to go business, uh, which makes a lot of sense during the pandemic. Uh, the company also said it plans to close up to 400 stores in the US and Canada over the next 18 months, while at the same time adding carry out and pickup locations. And so this is kind of a mixed bag for coffee drinkers. I don't know about you guys. I, well, I do know, actually, you know, we all work together. And one of the things we do is we meet for coffee and we do a lot of our work uh, that is for the office outside of the office. And typically where we would go is to meet at one of these, you know, just a coffee shop and sit down and do work together for hours. And so to see, you know, 400 locations uh, closing uh, for Starbucks in the U.S. and Canada and knowing that that has to mean others uh, are also going to be closing. Honestly, I think that's pretty devastating. Well, and it just makes me wonder about some of the relational disengagement fallout that's going to continue to happen from the coronavirus. I think pickup and to-go only is going to be more popular now. It's changed our society forever. Just like, you know, ATMs, where you no longer really go in and do banking, except for those people who still like to write checks that we've talked about in the past. Um, so I just wonder what kind of relational impact that this is going to have not just places like Starbucks, but lots of other retail and food companies as well. I think that's a really good point, Lindsay. Yeah. As much as I love a good cup of coffee, which I do, half of the joy of going to a coffee shop is going with someone else, whether it's your spouse or a friend just to grab coffee. And I, I mean, I can't tell you how many amazing conversations I've had just going deeper in relationship with people over a cup of coffee. So, um, yeah, I think in some ways it's it's sad to see that that model switching, but I mean COVID has changed and switched so many things and I'm sure this is not going to be the last major shift we see. It's also not to mention the people watching. There no are kidding. some epic people watching and I don't want to miss out on that. Yeah, I mean as a guy who has spent literally uh I don't have any idea, hundreds and hundreds of hours in coffee shops working uh, and hanging out and people watching uh, over the years. Like this is just really sad to me. And it makes me like anxious for the time when we when we can go back to that part of normal life. But guys, Lindsay, Chelsea, Jeff, and, you know, since Brent's not here, we're missing him. That's your look at This Week in Culture. Every day we hear countless messages telling us how to think about the world around us. As the culture pulls us in different directions, it's easy to get overwhelmed and disengage completely or even begin to be influenced by the world. But how should we respond to everyday events and issues in a God-honoring way? 
a new book called Beautifully Distinct, Conversations with Friends on Faith, Life, and Culture, edited by Trillia Newbell, brings together 15 women to discuss films, books, and media. This book also outlines biblical principles for approaching difficult topics like body image and racism, and encourages us to shape our lives around Christ. Beautifully Distinct is now available at your favorite bookstore or thegoodbook.com. That's thegoodbook.com. We're just going to turn and interview Jeff. We've had Chelsea on the podcast a couple times before, and Jeff, we're just interested to, for our audience to learn a little bit more about you. So as we get started, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself like and how you're serving in ministry right now, uh, and tell us the thing we ask everyone, which is what is one thing that God is teaching you in this season of life and ministry? Yeah, thanks for that, Josh. Uh, after you know working together for a couple years, I'm glad you finally want to get to know me a little bit better. So... Uh, most important thing about me um, in my life is uh, is my my family, my uh, my wife Chelsea and I live. Uh, and just so we're clear, uh, not my coworker Chelsea Patterson Sobolik, <laughs> but my wife Chelsea Pickering. We, uh, <laughs> as Chelsea, my coworker uh, Patterson Sobolik and I are in meetings around DC. Uh, we have to make that clear when I start that. So uh, my wife Chelsea and I uh, have lived in DC now for a handful of years, and we just had our first son last year. So he is actually, oh, hey, look at that. It's the 18th as we're recording this. So he turns 15 months today, which means that our life is uh, is pretty crazy right now, especially in the season of working from home. Uh, we had his first birthday party over Zoom. It was just the three of us and our dog uh, here in our apartment on Capitol Hill, Zooming with all of our family back in Texas. Uh, Chelsea and I are both from the Houston area. I'm from Lake Jackson, Texas. She's from Houston, the city. We met at Texas A&M and then lived in Austin, Texas. She works for a company called Noonday Collection. They are an amazing uh, jewelry company that work with artisan partners all throughout the developing world and have uh, ambassadors selling that jewelry all throughout the United States, um, utilizing the global supply chain uh, to create good and sustainable jobs. Um, So uh, her job is so much cooler than mine, even though uh, mine looks cool on Instagram living here in Washington, D.C., uh, but yeah, that's a little bit about a little bit about me, how I'm serving in ministry right now. Um, I lead our communications efforts from the DC office that have to do with our policy advocacy, uh, and I would say even you know even in some ways more importantly than that, uh, as it pertains to my ministry at the ERLC, I uh, lead our internship program. And that has been a really fun part of the job. When I was in college, I came to Washington, D.C. and did an internship with the International Justice Mission, which is headquartered here, IJM. And so I know what a difference internships can make as you're thinking about what to do with your career. Uh, And particularly for us at ERLC, um, you know, we exist to equip, uh, equip the church with the gospel of Christ to engage the culture. And so for us to be able to do that by specifically pouring into uh, young men and women who are interested in the kind of work we do. Maybe they're in seminary or law school, or maybe they're just figuring out, okay, do I want to go work on Capitol Hill? Uh, what do I want to do? Um, to be a part, a small part of their story each summer, fall, and spring uh, is a ton of fun. What God is teaching me right now in this season of life, uh, in some ways, I don't know that I can really answer that question because we're still in the fog of all of 
2020 and we're only halfway through. But I, I think the the thing I am aware of right now uh, that God is teaching me is the certainty of his word, um, which has just been such a solid rock during this time of, you know, Dr. Moore always calls this time, this time of plague, which it is. Uh, and it just, you know, as all of your plans get thrown out the window, as people that you know and love uh, get sick, um, and then, you know, even broader than just the pandemic, but, you know, now America has been faced with centuries of racial injustice and just the thought of there's so much that I don't even yet understand as I'm trying to unpack and learn about, about America's original sin, um, that just going back to the certainty of his word and all of that is the thing that I'm really grateful that he's teaching me. It's a good reminder, Jeff, and we're thankful to have you on the team and you and those who are helping you are doing a great job with the interns. As you mentioned, um, that program, it's just, you've done such a great job. So we're thankful for you. And so we talked earlier about the SCOTUS ruling, um, but what we didn't get to were some of the practical implications. And I know some of those we don't quite know yet, but can you can you talk through those just a little bit? Christians might be thinking, how is this going to affect me now? And then can you talk to us and tell us how we should be feeling right now? Is this a time of panic? Is this a time of hope? Help guide yeah. our thinking. Yeah, well, I... I would again point to uh, something that uh, something that Dr. Moore has said this week, which is in terms of how you should feel, Christians shouldn't panic. Uh, we just shouldn't about this or really about anything else. I mean, our our future is secured in Christ and in his kingdom, and our citizenship in his kingdom is infinitely more secure and infinitely more important than our citizenship uh, in the United States of America or wherever you may be listening to this podcast. Um, so I don't think it's a time to panic. Jesus is still on his throne, no matter, no matter what happens in the, uh, with the government and the country that you live in. And the reason that, that I think we can say that even now, as America becomes more and more post-Christian, uh, in its views in the public square is because that's been our story from the very beginning as the church. Uh, Dr. Moore loves to talk about how Christians in the Roman Empire were not, quote unquote, on the right side of history, uh, and yet Jesus uh, walked out of the grave, and he's doing just fine. And so so are we, ultimately. Uh, and that's the case for Christians all throughout the world, whether it's in, uh, whether it's in post-Christian Europe, uh, or, you know, I, I even think about as there's news in the Korean Peninsula again about our about our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church of North Korea. They, in an ultimate sense, also are secured in Christ, even though their their present situation is one of immense uh, persecution and pressure. So that's, you know, that's sort of the theological answer to that question. I would say practically, Dr. Moore has been talking a lot this week about having a guarded optimism. Uh, and, you know, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reason to feel secure in our first amendment religious liberty rights uh, in this country. There have been a lot of solid Supreme Court cases. Uh, there's great legislation still on the books and it's the first freedom in the first amendment in the bill of rights. Um, so there's a lot of reason to think that even though, uh, there may be some turbulence ahead, uh, as we work out all of these questions, there is still reason to be optimistic about the future of religious freedom in the U S. 
Jeff, I think you're exactly right. Um, with with there's still reason to be optimistic. I really appreciate that that word. Um, so zooming back a little bit, um, before you came uh, to work at the ERLC, you were um, on staff at a church in Texas, and you also are an Aggie, um, which fun little personal story. My husband is an Aggie, and um, I think you and Michael interacted a little bit at at A&M. So y'all weren't super close, but you interacted, which is such a small, small world. Yeah, yeah. So, he was in, when Michael was at the Bush school uh, getting his master's, uh, one of my roommates in my house was a classmate of his, and they were going through that master's program together at the Bush school, which is fun. Such a small world. Can you um, tell us how you ended up um, at the ERLC um, and why this work is um, something you feel called to? Well, my story of coming to the ERLC began a few years before I would even apply for a job here. And it began over breakfast tacos with Philip Bethencourt in Austin. Uh, I had just recently uh, graduated from A&M and I knew Philip uh, because we were involved in uh, the same Bible study uh, at Texas A&M that he started uh, a few years before I would be I would be there on campus. But Philip had just recently uh, come on staff uh, with uh, with Dr. Moore and Daniel and the rest of that initial crew when Dr. Moore was called to be president of the ERLC. And I was working in state and local government affairs at the time in Austin. And so, yeah, it began over breakfast tacos there in uh, in Austin, Texas. Uh, he actually got one called the the Don Juan. It's this it's this uh, famous famous plate in a famous restaurant uh, just in uh, just east of downtown Austin that the plate is this it's just a massive smorgasbord of eggs and potatoes and bacon and uh, Philip Philip took it down I dared him to do it and he took it down and we just talked about their vision for Christian political engagement and it was just such a breath of fresh air. Um, as somebody who was very interested in politics, but was finding myself very dissatisfied with a lot of the answers that quote unquote Christian political engagement had been coming up with for a long time about what it looked like to to be involved in the issues of the day. And so it started over that conversation. And then eventually I would, you know, stay in touch. And uh, while I was, so eventually I would transition to be on staff at my local church in Austin. And we actually hosted an ERLC conference. And that's when I first met uh, the rest of the crew, Andrew Walker, Dan Darling, Elizabeth Graham, uh, and then eventually Travis Wusso, who I knew from uh, from the Austin Stone, would uh, would move to Washington, D.C. to lead the D.C. office, uh, and he had an opening, and so I uh, came with him. That's really great, Jeff, and we are grateful to have you on the team. For people who don't know, uh, Jeff, you kind of serve as the QB of our uh, opinion, like SCOTUS response days. So anytime uh, that, that the Supreme Court is set to release opinions, you function as the uh, the quarterback calling all the plays and shaping up that response. Uh, and that's such a critical thing because these, these Supreme Court opinion days are so huge for us. But as we move to kind of our last question, you know, we had your dad on the podcast a few weeks ago, who is awesome, by the way. If people didn't listen to that interview, you should go back and find uh, the interview we did with uh, Pastor Greg because it was just fantastic. And he's such a a good guy with such a great heart for Christ and for people. Uh, but Jeff, we heard a lot about you from your dad when he was there. Well, let's hear a little bit from you. <laughs> you're you're an Enneagram 7. You make the most of life. You're living with yeah. a young family in, in the nation's yeah. capital. What are you guys doing for fun? How are you like enjoying your time during this you know time of plague? 
Well, during the time of plague, it's a uh, we we we're having fun like everybody else is having fun. Um, we're going on walks. Uh, we're we're cooking fun meals, and we're watching Netflix and reading books um, <laughs> and FaceTiming with our families uh, every single day. Um, did you guys but, get into the making your own sourdough, or did you skip that part of the? No, response. no, we skipped. Yeah, we we skipped that part of it, but we did make a lot of banana bread, and I really enjoy my wife's banana bread. So I keep buying more bananas than we can possibly eat, so they go brown. And she goes, oh, "I got to make more banana bread." But yeah, no. Normally, uh, li- living in DC is a ton of fun, uh, especially for for an Enneagram Seven who is always uh, looking to have a good time. Yes, there are a couple different things that we particularly enjoy about D.C. And the first is probably what you might picture, which is going down to the National Mall, walking around the monuments, checking out the different memorials. Um, It's not only fun to go down there when we have family and friends visiting town, which we do, and we love being tour guides like that. But it's also just really fun. We have a big dog. And so to go down and uh, to play fetch with her on the mall is It's just a, it's amazing. And I love going down there, particularly at sunset, either on the Lincoln Memorial side or on uh, the Capitol side to see the sunset Uh, and to be out there just playing fetch with your dog. Like, you know, what? Like we live here? That's insane. Um, So that's one thing we love to do. It's so fun. I know it's crazy. Yeah. We, I mean, right now we're like a, a mile from the United States Capitol Dome. So that's a ton of fun. And then the other thing that might be more expect more unexpected, let me say that again. And then the other thing we enjoy to do, which I think would be unexpected for a lot of folks, is go out to eat. DC is a foodie town, which is great because we moved from a foodie town. Austin, Texas is known for a lot of things and food is one of them. Uh, I've already even talked about that on this podcast. So DC is also a foodie town um, with tons of different ethnic food uh, from around not only the country, but around the world. The whole world is in Washington, DC. Um, and there's just a ton of a ton of good food here. So we can't wait uh, till it's safe and, and restaurants are all back open so we can get back out in the game. Thanks for that rundown, Jeff. Uh, it is, you know, great to work with you. Anybody, they can pick it up from just our banter back and forth here on the podcast. But internally at the URLC, Jeff and I are like the best of frenemies. You know, we just love to, uh, well, just try to get the best of each other all the time. And so I'm not sure. I'm not sure who's winning at any given point. But uh, man, it was really great to have you on the podcast and get to, you know. I mean, I think it's game. I think it's clear. I think it's clear who's winning. Okay. See, that's what I mean. Uh, and people will enjoy that. <laughs> So let's go ahead and move into the lunchroom where every week we tell you the things we've been talking about with one another. And since we have more folks on our staff here with us, uh, we will just share those things with you. So Jeff, since we just talked to you, why don't you tell us what's on your mind this week? Yeah, on on my mind, the thing I'm bringing, uh, bringing to the lunchroom uh, conversation here is a new biography I just started this week on Frederick Douglass. Uh, so it's called Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom by David Blight. And uh, it's a book that our teammate Stephen Harris recommended to me as the best biography on Frederick Douglass. It is massive. And I I wanted to dig into this biography because I have just been really convicted in recent weeks how much just his, history I am missing in my on my own bookshelf uh, about the Black experience in the United States of America. 
Uh, and, and that's something I want to correct. And I, you know, I don't want to lean on, uh, I don't want to lean on my black friends to have to bring me up to speed on history that I should be reading about on my own. I love a good biography. I love historical biographies. I just read John Ward's Camelot's End, uh, which is about the Jimmy Carter, Teddy Kennedy primary campaign back in the 70s. And um, so I was looking for another American history biography uh, and decided to start this one. And uh, it so far, um, only a couple of chapters in uh, and it's already riveting. That's really good, Jeff. Uh, Lindsay, what's on your mind this week? Well, Jeff, thank you for those recommendations. That sounds really good. Um, so it's time for some worship in the midst of all of the craziness going on in our world. I found on Twitter, thankfully, of all places, a, a YouTube video someone shared of the Brooklyn Tabernacle singing Psalm 34. I think it's Shane and Shane's version of Psalm 34. And it is so good. So it is these these two gentlemen taking the solos and then a massive multicultural choir behind uh, them singing. And it is just, will transport you to a little bit of what heaven is going to be like. And then I also wanted to mention really quick, our former colleague, my former boss, Dan Darling, has a book coming out that you can pre-order and it's called Away With Words. And I just think it is so necessary and he lives this out, but it's so necessary in this time of dissension and arguing and even in the church infighting. Twitter has just been really difficult to be on lately. And he just has some wise things to say about how to conduct ourselves um, online as Christians. So I I haven't read it, but I know it's going to be good because I used to work with Dan and he's great. Yeah, Lindsay, I'm glad you mentioned that. I I just have to say I watched the advertisement for that book, uh, like a 90 second video this morning, and I got chills. I did not know it was possible for a book advertisement to be as stirring as uh, as Dan's new book's advertisement is. So I'm really excited to check out uh, Dan's new book as well. For my lunchroom uh, for the week, I've got something that is just fun. So I don't know if you've seen these new kind of game shows that are coming out. When I say game shows, I mean, like, I don't know how else to describe them, but, like, they're literally playing games together on the show. Um, one is called Floor is Lava or The Floor is Lava. And it looks so interesting to me because uh, when you're a kid, a you play. not a new game. Okay. Is it like a video a game? game? No, it's like a thing. Is that, that like a video like game? No, it's like a thing people are doing. They're, like, acting out this The Floor is Lava. It's a Netflix thing, I guess. I was so, gonna say I played that as a kid. It's... <laughs> okay, so that's that's the whole point. It's like the floor is lava okay. is a game that people played when they were kids, but now they've made it into like a real television show where adults are playing games that the floor is lava. Uh, so I'm this excited is a, about that. This is a theme with you, Josh. This is a theme with you of all of these like childhood sort of imaginative fascinations coming true. First, it was the hidden treasure uh, that showed up. Now it's floor is lava. We're just waiting on some sort of quicksand. Uh, game show. I, exactly. And I don't know what to tell you, but the other thing, and Jeff, you can help me out with this guy's name because I certainly don't know it, but one of the guys who was on Parks and Rec is now hosting a show called Don't. And the whole premise of the show is you can make money or win things. I love it. I'm in. I don't even know what this is, but it sounds amazing. And the whole premise of the show is you win or make money by not doing things, which, you know, all of us are like, <laughs> hey, I cannot do something, but it's like, don't embarrass yourself. And then some, you know, awful thing is going to happen. Don't look behind you. And then this huge thing is going to smack you in the back of the head. Uh, but 
But anyway, uh, the show is called Don't. I have not seen any episodes. I've just seen some previews for it. But it's something also that I'm really excited about because living in a really heavy time with a lot of sad stuff, sometimes you just need to laugh. And so whether it's reverting to childhood and talking about the floor being lava and playing that game or uh, whatever this new concept is, uh, it's something that I'm really excited about. And so, you know, if nothing else in this podcast is valuable to you, you can at least laugh at one of these two things. You can go watch the trailers on YouTube. Uh, Chelsea, you're up next. Tell us what's on your mind. Yeah, so uh, my week has been hectic. My husband and I are moving on Saturday, so life has just been upended. But something um, I have been reading over the past couple weeks and months, um, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I am sure there's other people like me. Uh, for so long, I have loved the idea of C.S. Lewis's books, but I have not ever like finished one. I've read half of one. I've read three-fourths of one excerpts of you're not alone I I, I'm sharing this in in hopes that this encourages someone else so I have sat down and I'm systematically working my way through uh his books I just finished uh mere Christianity and I'm in the middle of screw tape letters right now so if there are other people like me that like the idea of Lewis more than they actually have read his books you know I'm pulling back the curtain and I hope there's other people that will actually sit down and read his books cover to cover because they truly are, um, they truly are uh, worth the hype, um, and they're they're classics for a reason. Um, and his reasoning and writing, and I mean, there are times I'll have to read a page three times to understand what he's saying, but it just it's it's good. It's very very good, and there's there's a reason that so many people adore him. So. Uh, in the midst of my crazy move, um, I try to read a chapter uh, of one of his books every morning. So that's been that's been something I'm gonna uh, continue to take with me um, until I get finished. That's really awesome, Chelsea. Uh, honestly, I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis and have read a ton of his stuff, but there's still so much that I haven't read. One that I only read last year, I think, for the first time was the Screw Tape Letters, and it was so uh, beneficial to me after doing it. I actually wrote like a short reflection on ERLC.com about it, uh, just because it was one of those things where everyone had talked about it, you know, for years and years, but I had just not taken the time to read it. And when I did, it was so helpful to me uh, as I was as I was seeking to understand something as simple as, or not as simple as, but something, but something as as common to talk about as spiritual warfare so it was you know it's a really great book and i'm sure that it will be really beneficial to you and to others who pick it up and read it well that brings us to the end of today's show and we just want to say uh on behalf of of Lindsay and myself uh to jeff and chelsea we are really really grateful that you guys took the time uh to join us today for this special episode uh, and just as a reminder to listeners if you like the podcast please consider helping us spread the word by sharing this episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review uh but for Lindsay and myself and for brent somewhere out there uh we'll be back next week with more content mm-hmm.